0: Today at tea time, um, Christopher, who is sitting somewhere in the audience, uh, in the back, suggested to me, I think sarcastically, that I talk about uh, mindfulness. And uh, it was a, a well-directed remark because it happens that it was me who forgot to come and ring the bell and lead the. sitting. (laughs) And so I certainly don't want to be flippant about that. It was a a, a most unskillful thing to do and I apologize for whatever inconvenience I might have caused. On the other hand I must say that uh, I didn't feel any burden of guilt about it. And uh, these two things don't have to go together. A sense of responsibility can be had, uh, that's my experience at this moment, without uh, carrying guilt or without uh, really focusing on the consequences of the acts for the I, for the me. For the image I might have of myself. And so it was uh, very, I was, felt very relieved to see that that sort of stuff didn't come up. Uh, I think it was yesterday in a group we had a whole discussion about uh, bell ringers' responsibilities and some kills. So it's my turn now to contribute to that discussion. And in, in very dramatic terms I was reminded uh, as I was pondering about all this uh, the last few minutes I was reminded of um, a very important uh, person in the U.S. Navy I think he was the highest uh, officer called Admiral Borda, who a few months ago committed suicide because it had been discovered that uh, he had been wearing a medal, a medal or several medals that he wasn't sure to be entitled to. He might have, but it was debatable whether he was. And in his funeral, um, who we spoke about him, said that Admiral Boda had spent his whole life fashioning a good name. Boy, there's something to be paid for that, and he paid with his life. So uh, for myself, I say, I spent only half my life fashioning a good name, (laughs) and then eventually I gave up. Tried. (laughs) <laughs> Again, I promise not to be flippant, and I, I don't mean it uh, flippantly. I mean it as a as a teaching, really. But um, of course, I laugh about it too. Well, um, anyway, that's not the talk I was going to give. The talk I was. Preparing while well, I forgot to come and ring the bell. That's the last I say of that. <laughs> Is entitled "No Hugging in the Hall." <laughs> <laughs> um, it's part of my effort to update the Buddhist similes. The you know we are used to the symbol of walking on the path, the symbol of the ox cart riding the ox cart, and and the crossing of the stream on a raft, very famous symbol. And what I propose to do to update it is to use the airplane as a basic uh, metaphor here. And you may remember that many years ago, maybe a decade ago, uh, a Greek airline had this uh, slogan, this publicity slogan, um, in which it advertised itself by saying, no dancing in the aisles. No dancing in the aisles. So I modified it. And you will see how that fits. Um, in the modify the, the dancing in the Isle uh, slogan was implying that as you go into the airplane, you feel so much at home in Greece that you want to dance. But of course, there, there are reasons uh, of safety, I suppose, why this is not to be done. But in fact, the injunction against does nothing but, but magnify, by, but uh, sort of exacerbate the interest, presumably, in dancing, the tendency to dance. And in a way, I think this happens here too. It's clear that we are. Not to, nobody says not to hug each other, but don't, I mean, it's obvious. You don't hug in the hall. It is obvious, I think. Uh, Just as you don't talk in the hall. Uh, Nevertheless, these restrictions do nothing but enhance our sense of reaching out for each other, of connecting with each other. There's none of this trivial chatter with which, with which, with what we usually connect. And so, there is indeed a reaching out for each other, with our breath, perhaps, a hugging each other, with the breath, perhaps. A, f- a feeling of connectedness that's uh, been for me very intense, and I'm sure that for others of you is also. In fact, uh, yesterday one of the groups, one of the members of the group expressed this sense of of being connected and supported to everybody and uh, immediately you could feel that the group was, was resonating with that suggestion. And this outpouring of of kindness, of loving-kindness towards each other, what in the Pali language is called a metta, is a very important ingredient of our practice. And um, on Wednesday, I think, uh, Sharda is going to lead a, a metta-guided meditation, which is indeed um, a, a necessary ingredient of what we do here. A reminder of the fact that an open heart is what takes us there. And certainly a powerful antidote for those moods of negativity and despair which visit us. Sometimes very frequently, sometimes uh, sporadically. And it's a powerful lift for our determination to be free. In, in discovering, in real terms, in the concrete heart of us, this, this yearning for interconnectedness. So that's uh, one parallel I wanted to draw between the slogan in the airplane industry and this slogan I invented for ourselves and, and the sense of connectedness that we have in the home. Another parallel I want to draw between flying and sitting has to do with taking time out. These are two circumstances where we take time out. Time out of our, for some of us, I'm looking back there, <laughs> our horrendous schedules of 38 hours a day. I haven't yet figured out how you fit those 38 hours. But anyway. <laughs> and I, I myself, had I used to have before I had knew anything about spiritual interests. I used to have a very busy life, and I used to travel a fair amount and long trips between Argentina and the U.S. For instance, and and they were almost the only time out I took. And I remember I I relish and I wait for a month. Hey, this is a time when I'm going to be out of the framework of this place, and not yet in the framework of the other place, which used to capture me for whatever reasons. And, And it felt like a great relief. And I had not discovered any other way of doing that, of finding some breathing space in my life. Uh, a sense of that things could be done afresh. For me, at the time, it never worked. I always fell back into the same routine. I had no other resources except these minute times out that I would take. Meditation, of course, it's almost like the ultimate time out the ultimate breathing space, and and the pun is intended. The ultimate way of getting out of our routine, our heavy schedule. And it's true that sometimes, again, this is uh, something that was reported in a group uh, yesterday, I think, or was it today? um of, of being very sleepy, of, of the body having been worn out by exertion. And when the timeout comes, the first thing the body demands is I want to rest. And the mind says, I want to rest. True. That can happen. But there is space for also being awake, and that can also help. And there is an opportunity for looking at things afresh. That's one of the great virtues of this trip, as it were, that you are taking. Of course, in these two cases, there's also the intrusion of entertainment. In the airplane, airlines, following all the pressures from our culture, are very careful not to leave us there unprotected with our thoughts and feelings, just sitting there doing nothing. So, they get ready for us a heavy schedule, of happenings, <laughs> right? There is a uh, two or three movies in a row, depending how far you go. And when the movie is not showing, you get uh, some commercials. And when there's neither movie nor commercials, you get a computerized map of the movements of the airplane, so you can distract yourself seeing how the imp- airplane. Inches its way up or down the map <laughs> <laughs> imperceptibly. But, but you, can, you can really, it's an attention getter, right? Because you first see the nose of the airplane touching that island, then you see the wing of the airplane. I don't know if you're familiar with it. <laughs> Drawings of the airplane moving in real time along the map or whatever. And of course, you have music you have a reading material you have food you have games sometimes mm-hmm. the question is how to obliterate the timeout and isn't that familiar too in the hall except of course you don't I suppose because you're not allowed to with your own little TV but you're, you're, you're much better than that you, manu- you, have, you, you bring your own tapes in your head so you start <laughs> with the reruns <laughs> very familiar and by the third day it, it, it gets a bit uh, dull and boring so you know what Many of you, I'm sure you know that, you've tried that, start producing their own. Using their own. There's two themes that are, you've heard about them, most of you I'm sure, that are very, very familiar and very, very widespread in this. Plots of this new tapes that are manufactured. One is known as V.V., Vipassana, villain, in which uh, you cast a member of this group as a villain on your plot because this person appeared to cut ahead of you or or move very brusquely or or, or not look at you or look at you. (laughs) And, And you develop the whole fabulous tape that you keep. Then then you keep showing over and over again. And the other, even more engaging um, plot is called VR, Vipassana romance. When somebody seemed to look tenderly at you, and by golly, that's it. That's (laughs) it. And of course, uh, there's no end to how this plot can be embellished. And, and the, the, this is far more effective than any in-flight entertainment in the airplane because you are the actor, you are the main protagonist and you can cast everybody as you wish. Still, at times, all this thing subsides and there's time to be present. And the reasons for this, what I call, in-sit entertainment are very similar to the reasons of the in-flight entertainment. It's to avoid being there. Avoid even looking out the window of the airplane to see what's happening to get frightened by their height, or whatever. So there's um, the I mentioned the hugging, I mentioned the timeout, and the ways of avoiding timeout. And then an- another parallel I want to draw to kind of legitimize my similar it has to do with journey and destination in in an airplane uh, basically it's this is simple thing you you are at a home base you leave that home base take the trip to get to a destination and these three things are seen as three separate things right origin trip destination however there can be some blurring and there seems to be in the in the publicity of airlines some attempt to blur as much as possible the distinction between the airplane and the destination and and that's how, for instance, this you know, dancing on the aisles came up. The Greek airline wanted to suggest to you that the moment you step in the airplane, you are already in Greece. So you go to that airline instead of the other airline. And likewise, there are many airlines that uh, publicize uh, Indian food. They have Colombian airline have pictures of these um, stewardesses in the Colombian ponchos, the red ponchos, uh, whatever. And of course, this is mostly gimmickry. And um, in fact. What we find at the destination very often is gimmickry too. You know, <laughs> we, we go all the way across the world to see a particular building that has been um, sort of beautified and arranged so it looks exactly as we expect it to look, and, and a hotel that has all the all the attributes of that particular country. And it's a little bit like going to Disney World rather than to Greece, France, or whatever. That's a little bit of that. So, anyway, what about the the sitting now? Well, there can, of course, be some simulations in the sittings, eh? no doubt, no doubt. Sometimes we're under pressure to validate ourselves, to, to convince ourselves that we have accomplished this or that. Sometimes to convi- convince our friends and to have something to write to our friends about, our experiences. And so we tend to beautify and, and hang on to this or that. That could be that particular great experience that others have told us about because they also wanted to impress us, etc., etc. But you and me are here interested in the real practice, uh, the authentic, unadulterated. And, and in that practice, looking at that practice, what's the relationship between the trip, the path, and the destination? Between the hall and the freedom? Between the airplane in the sima and the place of arrival? Uh, much of the distinction has to do with language. We do, in language, distinguish very clearly and sharply between the trip and the destination. But in the path, this is distinction is there, but is not so clear-cut, it's not a sharp line. There is in the path, a gradual unfoldment of that which comes to fruition at the end of the path. There is, in the path, a planting seeds that ripen eventually, and not all simultaneously. Even when there are moments of Realization, which is not my experience of moments of great Realization, they are, are, I understand, part of the fruition of something that comes from much further. In my own experience I have whatever insights I've had they've often been accompanied by by an intimation of, of that particular insight that preceded it as it were. And what has been very important for me has been the the discovery of the shedding of of that old skin that constricted me, the skin that was constricted around I, around me, around mine, around who I am. And so, in fact, in, in nature, animals mould many animals, have to mould. That is, when the skin... For some animals, the skin grows. For others, the skin is rigid. It has to be shed, and then grow another one, shed, and grow another one, and so on. And it's, it's quite a relief to find, hey, that skin that used to be so tight is not so tight anymore. One of the instances of that is what I was referring to at the beginning, that the, the constriction of guilt for me wasn't there. In this trip to us, our destination, there's a point of irreversibility. And here again, the airplane symbol may work, although not very precisely, but at least uh, in the airplane there's a moment where, where you're in, I mean, you're going. They close the door and there you are. If, you, if you're on the wrong plane, well, you'll have to wait till you get there and come back. <laughs> it becomes irreversible. It's true that there's no guarantee of how soon you're going to get there. Maybe there's bad weather, maybe there's uh, some mechanical delay, and maybe you're laid off for days uh, on end in Greenland or somewhere like that. But, It's irreversible. In the practice there are such points of irreversibility. And of course uh, traditional metaphors are not of airplanes but uh, the metaphor is of stream. So the point of irreversibility is called stream entry. And as interesting to look a little bit at what the Buddha said about stream entry. Hmm? He, he said that one becomes a stream-enterer, which is somebody who is irreversibly in the path, although it may take a long time to get there. When Three fetters, three things that hold us back, uh, disappear, are gone. We are free from them. The one is our belief in personality. And here let's take belief in the deep sense. It's not a question that, hey, if I change my belief, I will be free of that. It's a question of really deeply with, with all our being just not being hooked onto this. Living our life for the person that impersonates us. But be willing to drop on that. And that's perhaps a, the more critical and significant fetter in this series of three. The second one is be free of doubt, really free of doubt. And the third one, which is less applicable to to a group like this, I think, is be free of adherence to ritualistic and ascetic practices. Attachment, it says. It doesn't mean we're free of the practices. It doesn't mean that free of attachment to the practice. So it doesn't take something unreachable to be in this airplane. And just, just being here at IMS, just being here, just entering without uh, closing the door of the airplane, as it were, without being already in some irreversible direction towards, towards final freedom, towards final realization, um, can have an effect of, of feeling different somehow, feeling that one is, is, is seriously involved in something. Somebody in the small group was saying, perhaps in a different context, I don't want to, to go into the details of that, but was saying that that as soon as she came to IMS, she felt a difference. And, and IMS or I'm sure other groups as well and not just the buildings but also the, the Sangha, you all as teachers too, uh, can have this, this effect of, of stirring up an interest, of reminding us of something. It can also stir up expectations, it's true. But then the three of us will be here to remind you that expectations are not a very helpful thing. But what is helpful is the capacity to absorb. What is helpful is to be able to to find those guiding voices inside us. Voices that are beyond the what the will determines it wants. But they are beyond the wants of personality. It's almost as if we received orders from somewhere and I'm not creating here another authority but our own authority. It's as if we could find our own voice somewhere. And so, let us listen to those voices. Voices which which have the wisdom to be connected with that destination that we are seeking. Voices which in some way know better than, than our ordinary brain where we are going. Voices which are not swayed and affected by the whims of I, me, and mine, but who have a lot to do with the depth of who we are. And by we, I mean everybody in this room, but also other beings around us. My hope after this talk is that this has not been another piece of uh, in-flight or in entertainment, but that it has stirred up something deeper in you. And if anything is stirred up, it has nothing to do with what I textually or literally say but on what you yourself know and perhaps I can trigger with these words so let's for a moment sit on that